want to be turning your Bibles this morning, I'll be in the book of Galatians in chapter number 6. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, while you're turning there in your Bible, I'll give you a little bit of information uh, about this church, a little bit about who it is that the Apostle Paul originally wrote the letter to. In the early days before Christ, Galatia was a powerful nation on this planet. They, they had, a, had a, a lot of pull, I guess you'd say. Matter of fact, at one time they burned down Rome, um, that they attacked Asia Minor, they, they had land all around, they were a great country, but then one day later on, they, um, they joined up with Antiochus III in 190 B.C., and, and they attacked a resurgence Rome, a Rome that was now growing back, that had rebuilt and was growing in strength, and, and they lost the battle, so after having punished the Galatians, then Rome came back and, and gave them autonomy. They gave them the ability to govern themselves, and they began to become a small region there with them. But then in 31 B.C., they betrayed the king. They betrayed um, King Anthony. They sided with Augustus, and because of that, Anthony um, was, was done away with. And Rome basically rewarded Galatia. They, they became a part of the Roman Empire and, and so that sets up the Galatia that Paul visits in his original missionary journey. When Paul went to Galatia the first time, the people loved him. They thought that he was an angel sent from God. They loved the message. They loved the ministry. They heard of the, uh, the, the, the crucifixion. They heard of the resurrection, they heard of the goodness of God and, and the love of Christ, but as time passed, false prophets and um, false teachers, they, they began to stir up strife among the church at Galatia. They began to bring in false doctrines and false religions and things against Christ, and so the church began to take a turn. People within the church, as they did with many, Corinth was the same. A lot of false teachers rise up and bring things in, but nothing ever changed the Apostle Paul's heart with any of the churches that he was responsible for establishing and putting forth, including the church here at Galatia. He still loved the people there in this community, and he sends this letter to them to, to try to teach them and, and help them Many scholars believe this to be the first of the 13 letters that are recorded in the New Testament, the first letter that the Apostle Paul actually wrote. But and you can hold your place in chapter 6. But in chapter 3, verse number 1, Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? When he gets down to chapter 5, Paul is teaching the church at Galatia. He's teaching them in this part of the letter. And he says in verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you get down to verse 25 of chapter 5, he says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Then when you get to chapter 6, um, he continues in his teaching, and, and today, Faith Baptist Church, or, or the church in general in, in America today, the church as a whole, but especially us, we like the church at Galatia. We have this incredible letter to help us in our Christian journey. Anybody need any help? Anybody thankful for the Word of God? So we have this letter to help us, and here in chapter 6 and verse number 7, Paul says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For what he soweth to the flesh, for he that soweth to the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Verse number 9, he says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica, he puts it like this in chapter 3, verse number 13. He says, but ye brethren, 
I want you to understand the importance of that. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to the lost. He's not talking to anybody out there. He's talking to you and I. When he says brethren, he is making a reference to the church, to the redeemed, to the purchased, to those names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So he's talking to you and I as Christians. He says, be not weary in well-doing. So I want to bring a message this morning. Don't let the world pull you down. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this precious book, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. Thank you for your sweet, precious Holy Spirit. Thank you for the people in this building today, God, for those on live stream listening by way of the airways, God. I pray that you would pour your blessings out upon each. I pray you'd teach us, God. I pray you'd give us something to strengthen us. I pray you'd make us usable vessels. I pray that you'd brighten our light that we'd be a brighter light in this dark world. I pray, God, that you would, Lord, increase our savor. You said if the salt is lost, its savor is good for nothing, God. May we not lose our savor. May we be everything that you've called us to be, God. I pray you'd strengthen us this morning. God, I pray you'd use me, make me a vessel. I pray your Holy Spirit would touch my tongue, God, that I might speak the things that you would have said to your children. I pray you'd move upon everybody in this place as you see fit, God. Encourage us, teach us, and strengthen us that we might be a better servant. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. You know, it's okay to say amen in the house of God every once in a while. Y'all with me? Amen just means I agree. Doing good is not a natural concept. Only two of you come back with an amen, so that means I'm the only heathen in the house. Doing good isn't always something that just comes natural. The Word of God talks about the heart of man. It says that the heart of man is desperately wicked and thoughts of evil continually. So much so that back in the flood that God destroyed man and started all over. So, so doing good is truly a godly character displayed in God's children. Well, we'll just move on. Loving others is a godly character displayed in God's children. We talked about it here on Wednesday night. It's not a natural thing to love somebody you don't even know. Anybody lay awake at night and pray that the Lord would save the lost? I hope you do. Anybody as part of your prayer, anybody pray in the morning, God use me today. If it's at a gas station, if it's at a restaurant, if it's at work, God, use me to be a living, breathing, walking, talking example to somebody. Use me to tell somebody about Christ. Use me, God, that, that somebody today, that I might lead somebody to the Lord. Use my life an example, God. I just want to be used. You are praying for people many times you don't even know. It's not a fleshly, natural character for us to pray for a world out there that abuses you, to pray for the enemy which spitefully and, and persecutes you and says all manner of evil against you, for us to pray for them that God would save them. That, that is a godly character in God's children. It is the great distinguishing characteristic of God that God always does good. When Jesus was on this earth, he always did good. It is what marked the character of our Redeemer. The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good. And whenever God gives us the opportunity and the means to do good, it is a character trait of Christ in us that we do good so that the world might see Christ. But sometimes being a Christian can make you weary. Sometimes trying to do good can, can wear us down. I mean, there, there's so much opposition in today's world to even the best plans of trying to be good. There's so much to be done. There's so much trouble. There's so much turmoil that it seems overwhelming. It seems like insurmountable odds. There's so many things that call on our time, and so many people are always calling on us, wanting us to do something to help them. And it's not just a request for help, but then there's that, that case that it seems like the ones that you do help there's so much ingratitude in the things that you do. It seems like nobody really appreciates it. It doesn't matter how many times you help somebody. It seems like the one time you don't help them is the only time they remember. I said it was okay to say amen in the house. 
It doesn't matter how much you do for them. The one time that you don't give them what they ask or do what they need, that's the only story they have to tell everybody. Well, I called them so-and-so, and they wouldn't even help me. They, wouldn't. they do it to the church all the time. We got educated this week. I did not know this until a supposedly, possibly unchurched person called and let us know this. I did not know it was our responsibility as a church to pay for the funeral for people we don't know. But we were educated. Apparently, I was wrong. You'd be amazed how many calls we get to pay for funerals. You know, the worst part of it is that there was an offer to pay a portion of it if you'd get the first portion of it. And we were informed that that's the church's responsibility to take care of people in situations like that. And we were hung up on. We weren't. Miss Sylvia was. Miss Sylvia just told me about it. It's crazy the amount of people that, that call that, that realize that the church is who's supposed to bail them out all the time. But they ain't never at church. Well, I shouldn't say that because some of them are. You know... Pastor Freeman put something in several years ago. I adopted it, to be honest, a pretty good plan, so I kept it. He put limitations on things because, in all honesty, if you're not careful, you can take some people to raise. You, you, you help with rent a couple months in a row. Then, then you get notifications from them that their power bill is six months late, and if they don't pay X amount of dollars, their, their power is going to get cut off, and their water is this, and their car payment is that. And, and it can go on continually. And most of that, to be honest, that comes within the church. We're, we're not, we, we do help those out there in the world, even with those things, what we can. But, so Pastor Freeman put something in that we will only help one person X amount of dollars per year. And you reach the quota in the year, then, then you're going to have to get help somewhere else. And he even put in a lifetime limit. That you can only put so much into one person and then it, it's cut off. You can't just keep. But the truth is, even as the church, you don't take people to raise. And then it shows an irresponsibility if the same person is continually, two or three years in, calling back and expecting the church to bail out, to bail out, to bail out, to bail out. So it doesn't matter. I'm telling you on experience. It doesn't matter how much you do for them. How much money you put into them, how, much, how many times you help them, the first time you don't, that church I called, they wouldn't even help me. I said, well, I wouldn't go to that church if it's the last place on earth. I won't ever step another foot in there. doesn't matter that you poured countless of dollars out of the benevolence into to help them. I'm just telling you, we live in a world that makes it very difficult sometimes to continue to try to do good. I can see why God would have the Apostle Paul write us a reminder that says that we're never to cease to do good, not to grow weary and well-doing. Anybody ever been hurt by somebody that you know you truly did all you could to help them, but yet all they went around was telling everybody else about something other than the absolute truth of what you did? How many of you have ever helped somebody, and even though you know you were being played for a sucker, you could smell the story out, but you went ahead and helped. You've helped somebody that you know was ripping you off. You know the sob story. You know the deal. You know they do it all the time, but you go ahead and help them. The, the truth is, many times, the people that, that you've helped who will turn around and stab you in the back because you didn't do enough or do it the next time, sorry, but they're in the church. I'm not out in the world right now. I'm talking about the brethren. I'm talking about discord amongst the brethren. It's not hard to grow weary in well-doing, but there are those out there who truly need help. And if we close up our bowels of compassion, we will not be the church. There are those out there who truly need a blessing and and if we just close up our compassion if we grow weary then then we will miss an opportunity for them to see christ in us and for christ to work through us the fact is we have to pray we have to seek god's will because there are some who even though we know we're being played for a sucker even though we've heard the song and dance a hundred times even though we know this money probably isn't going to be used for the right thing that they're asking for, 
we understand that sometimes God may be doing something in somebody's life, and you never know what God might be doing. So you got to seek God counsel. you got to pray, God, do I help them or do I not? And you go with what the Lord lays in your heart, and whatever they say, let them say. But if God says help them, help them. Sometimes we just got to leave things up to the Lord. We, we, we have to, we, we can't let what people do and what people say discourages it's important that we remember this isn't our work i said it's important that we remember this isn't our work this is the lord's work we're in the lord's army we are servants to the most high god if we follow the example that jesus gave us it'll help us jesus lived in a body just like this one he was just as much God as if he were never man, but he was just as much man as if he were never God. He walked in the flesh. He felt pain. He felt fatigue. He felt all of the things that we do. John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So Jesus shows us that even the Son of God, as the Son of God, with, with all power to him, he allows the Father to work through him. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Did Jesus ever get tired? Absolutely. Did he ever get wearied, fatigued? absolutely now i know in the story of john i know there was a reason he went to the samaritan well he had already said i must needs go through samaria but why was he sitting at the well in samaria he was fatigued the bible says he was wearied he went and sat down at the well because he was tired he sent the disciples on in to get some victuals to bring some things back but the bible says in john chapter 4 verse 6 jacob's well was there jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the ninth hour if he had been too wearied to help somebody then we wouldn't have the incredible story of the woman at the well but we have it because he says be weary be tired be worn down in life but never be too tired to share the gospel never be too tired to help somebody never grow weary in doing good so our text starts out here by telling us that whatever we sow, that's what we'll reap. For the Bible gives us a multitude of examples on those who sow into the flesh and reap flesh. Those who sow into the Spirit reap things of the Spirit. Matter of fact, in a lot of cases, and in the Old Testament particularly, what you'll find is the ones who sowed into the flesh and reap flesh later on are the same ones who sowed into the Spirit and reap things of the Spirit. You know what that tells me? I preached a message a while back. Anybody remember the title uh, called Failure is Never Fatal Unless It's Final? No matter where you're in life, it's never too late to turn around. Saved, running from God, lost from God, wherever you are in life, it's never too late to turn around. No matter how messed up things got, no matter where you are, it's never too late to turn back and let God make us a usable vessel. So we see a lot of examples of people sowing to the flesh and sowing to the Spirit and the Word of God. We see that Jacob sowed to the flesh and he reaped Simeon and Reuben. Abraham sowed to the flesh. He reaped Ishmael. Lot sowed to the flesh. He reaped he reaped Moab and Ammon. Samson sowed to the flesh, and he reaped blindness and captivity. Eli sowed to the flesh. He reaped Hophni and Phinehas. David sowed to the flesh, and he reaped the death of a child. We see that Solomon sowed to the flesh, and he reaped Rehoboam. But on the other side of the coin, we see that Enoch sowed to the Spirit. He walked with God and was not. Because God took him. We see that Noah sowed to the Spirit. And he did the things of God. And because of that, he and his entire family was delivered from the flood. We saw that Abraham sowed to the flesh. And he may have sown to the flesh when he went to Egypt. Abraham may have sown to the flesh when he used Hagar. Abraham may have sown to the flesh when he lied about Sarah, his wife. 
he, and he told the king a lie. But at the end of his life, all said and done, he sowed to the Spirit. And the Word of God says that, that he reaped a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Joseph sowed to the things of the Spirit. And we find that he has the most godly character of anybody in the Bible. Moses sowed to the Spirit. And he got to be one of the three, one of the two with Jesus of the trio that showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Joshua sowed to the things of the Spirit. And God used him to deliver the promised land. Hannah sowed to the Spirit, and God gave her Samuel. David may have sown to the flesh with Bathsheba, and he may have reaped the death of a child, but he sowed to the things of God, and he reaped a royal covenant with God, and he's written down in the Word of God as a man after God's own heart. Hezekiah sowed to the things of the Spirit, and Jerusalem was delivered. Mary sowed to the Spirit and was allowed to be the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter sowed to the Spirit and was allowed to be the one that preached at the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were added to the church. Paul sowed to the Spirit, and the Bible says that he received a crown. Stephen, Stephen sowed to the Spirit, and the Bible says that the heavens were open, and that he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. John sowed to the Spirit. He was allowed to see all of the revelation of the visions there at the Isle of Patmos. But Jesus Christ sowed to the Spirit, and he reaped a multitude of names, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. For all of eternity, a, a, a group of names that is so large it can't be numbered. And one of those names is ours. It's not a new concept that what we sow is what we reap. It hasn't changed. It's always been that way. And it's still the same. Seems like Paul takes it for granted here that anybody that's been saved and filled by the Holy Spirit is going to seek to cultivate things of the spirit but if we're going to cultivate a harvest it takes time it takes patience it takes perseverance but but it takes work no farmer plants on monday and expects to receive a crop on tuesday once he once he's done the plowing and all the preparation and put the seed in there's nothing to do but wait but it's not idle time it's not lazy wait he still has to work he still has to water crop. He still has to keep weeds pulled. He still has to, to plow down the middle of the rows to keep all the grass out. He still has to, to fertilize things. He, he works, but all he can do is wait until God provides the increase. The, the one requirement that is imposed impartially on everybody is patience. Well, that's like a cuss word, ain't it? Patience, 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 wait. It's easy to see why God would give us this reminder to, to not grow weary in well-doing because patience, well, that's the same thing as weariness. I mean, we live in a world that knows nothing about patience. We, we live in a world that's always in a hurry. The society around us, some of us, unfortunately, our very own personality dictates being in a hurry. It, it dictates things going fast. But, I mean, you know, we, we have microwave ovens and air fryers. I mean, who wants to wait to cook in an oven, for Pete's sake? The only reason to make crock pots is so you can put it in in the morning and it's ready when you get home. I mean, there's no such thing as perk. Anybody in here still use an old-style percolator coffee pot that you have to put on the fire every morning? If you raise your hand, I need to see you after church because I'm going to do a check and see if you're lying. Because everybody in here makes it at night and sets the timer. So when you get up in the morning, you ain't got to wait on nothing. You put the creamer in and get the coffee. We, we don't wait on things anymore. We have cell phones. You don't know the answer to the question. You ain't got to call nobody. You ain't got to do nothing. Get your phone out. The thing answer almost anything. It, th there's almost not a question out there that, that you can't get right then. I mean, a hundred years ago, people were riding horse and buggies. And today, we're flying in jets crossing over time zones faster than they can walk across the street. Amen. Everything today is in a hurry, but God refuses to be hurried. God works in God's time. We, we can't advance the speed of the earth. We can't speed up a day. We can't speed up a week. We can't speed up a year, although I will say that in these last few years of my life, they seem to be getting faster every year. I ain't sped them up, but something has. God has his own plans. God has his own pace. 
God has his own purpose. And although God is not bound by time, God has no time. He is without beginning and he is without end. There are no time boundaries equipped with God, but God knows the value of time when it comes to us. He made us creatures of time. And just like it takes time to become an adult, it takes time to mature as a Christian. Boy, there's so many things that affect us in this life. Some of us just self-inflicted. Our own flesh gets in the way. The devil gets in the way. People get in the way. Boy, it'd be easy to help people if you're just wanting for people, right? I'm just saying God never wastes time. And if God took time to put right here in his word that we as Christians need a guard against being weary and well-doing, then it must be pretty important. So I was studying this week, and I did a devotion earlier in the week. It's crazy how God can put a devotion that's right in line with what you're studying. It's either strength to what you're studying or confirmation for me if you're looking to preach and it gives more information. And didn't God, God ever do that? God ever get you on a track and it just seems like everything you look at continues to point in that? And you open devotion and you're like, God, I'm not sure what you're telling me, but I know it's got something to do with this. So I opened this devotion. I love Brother Larry Neff's devotions. I know I tell you all that a lot. I've been getting his devotions for years and years. He is our founder of the Lighthouse Children's Home. And he sends them out every morning about 5, 5.30. But I was doing one of his devotions this week, and it went so in line with what I was studying. He did a devotion from Judges chapter 8. The name of it, it was called Faint Yet Pursuing. I saw the title there in my email, Faint Yet Pursuing. I said, boy, that sounds an awful lot like be not weary and well-doing, don't it? So I open it up, and I do the devotion, and he's talking about Gideon and his men. Gideon and his men, they've been traveling for days. He, he has an army of 32,000 men, and in all honesty, they are headed into a battle that is suicide. They are headed to fight a war they have no chance of winning. They are heavily outnumbered here and it judges chapter 7 verse 1 Zerubbabel who is Gideon and all the people with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod so that most of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moor in the valley the Lord said unto Gideon the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel vaunt themselves against me saying mine own hand hath saved me now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people saying whosoever is fearful and afraid let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead and there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. Now, 22,000 of 32,000 was afraid and went home. That tells you they're outnumbered. If that many are afraid, that, that, that tells you that they have really no chance of, of winning here. But the Lord said unto Gideon with his 10,000 people, that the people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. It shall be that of whom I say to thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down into the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth him, shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. The number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. The Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So they had 32,000 men. And that wasn't going to be enough, I'll show you. They were down to 10,000 men. God says you still got too many. He brings them down to 300 men. In Judges chapter 7, verse number 12, the Bible, speaking of the Midianites and the Milikites and all the children of the east, lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. Their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore for multitude. So you see that these 32,000 men are nothing compared to the size of the army, but God cuts them down to 300. He says, give them a chance to go. They're down to 10,000. He takes them to the water, and, and he spreads them out. See, God did, not want think, God did not want man to think right there that they had done anything special. Anybody listening? God's going to give you stuff to do sometimes. It may seem like insurmountable odds. God doesn't want us thinking we did anything. God helps us to guard against boastfulness and pride. 
God didn't want them to think they'd done anything, nor did he want Faith Baptist Church to look at this story more than 2,000 years later, more than 3,000 years later nearly, and, and say, boy, look what Israel did. He wants to look at this story and say, look what God did. He was big enough for them then. He's big enough for me now. He came over insurmountable odds for them. He can overcome insurmountable odds for me. So he broke this story down to give it to us, and, and he gave them the, he gave Gideon the plan. Now understand these men have been traveling for days. They've, they've traveled and now they've been out there at night. They, they, they're tired. They're, they're worn down and God gives Gideon the plan. Divide them up into three groups of 100. Surround the enemy's camp. Get up on the hillsides above the valleys and at Gideon's command they're all to do the same thing. They have a trumpet in one hand. They're to blow the trumpet. I bless probably to wake the enemy up to make sure they see what's going to happen next. Then they have a vessel in the other hand that has a lamp in it. They are to break the vessel so that the light shines forth. Boy, that's a good one for us right there. Break the vessel so that the light shines forth. It's the light in us that can do the work, not us. But then they are to shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Well, they sounded the trumpets. They break the vessels. And now the armies wakes up in the valley. They see the lights lighting up in the hillside around them. Believing themselves to be surrounded, they begin to fight amongst themselves. They begin to kill each other. They begin to run and flee for their life. And 300 men is now chasing an army that has camels that can't even be numbered, like sands by the seashore, a number of a multitude that can't be counted. God has taken 300 men, and he has them on the run. They've been up for days. They've been climbing around in these mountains in the dark. They've been blowing trumpets. They've been shouting the sword of the Lord. They, they've been doing everything. Now they're chasing the enemy. But in chapter 8 of the book of Judges, they've come to the Jordan River. And verse number 4 says that Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him faint, yet pursuing them. These men are exhausted, but they didn't stop pursuing. These men are worn out, but they are determined to stay in the fight until the victory is complete. That is exactly what God's children are supposed to do today. We are surrounded by insurmountable odds. There is a world around us that is more and more wicked every day. I love college football. I don't, I'm sorry, Valerie. I don't care much about NASCAR anymore. I'm about, you, you done with them too? Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm throwing that in. I'm about done with NASCAR. I'm about done with NFL too. But I love college football. But I'm about sick of stadium and the chants that they're doing about Joe Biden. Anybody knows me knows I don't care nothing about Joe Biden. I pray for him to be saved every day. That, that he might get saved and turn this nation back to sackcloth and ashes and prayer. But, the, but, but he and the devil's daughter a long way from it right now. <laughs> Pray for them. Boy, can you imagine what happened if God would have saved them too? Deceitful, wicked. And, and, and see a turnaround. But, but these four-letter word chants in stadiums, listen, in case anybody wants to put this out, it'd be suit me if this went viral. There are kids in those stadiums, people. People want to take their children to games. Don't be saying garbage like that out loud. You wanted to put something against Joe Biden, do, do it in a better way, man. If you ain't got no more tasteful than that, you need to keep your mouth shut. We live in a world that is desperately wicked. We are no different than the 32,000 men that were heavily outnumbered. But when God is on your side, you are victorious. Don't ever stop chasing. Don't ever stop sharing. Don't ever stop being good. Don't ever stop presenting the gospel. Just keep on keeping on. Think about our example. Think about our example. I mean, what, what do we do? What do we do when we feel exhausted? Anybody ever tired? Then nobody raised their hand. I thought, sure, at least one somebody beside me. But man, I tell you, what, I get tired. I don't just get tired in 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 physical flesh. I I, I get tired sometimes in the ministry. I, I get I get tired of, of of doing things and and feeling like we're not making a difference. Boy, I, I get I get tired, but but sometimes if we're not careful, if we let fatigue set in, we we get ready to just. Throw in the towel. The work that the Lord gave us to do isn't done until Jesus comes back. 
the, the work that's in that book, the things that he gave us to do, will not be done until Jesus steps out and calls home the bride of Christ. So we are to look to Jesus Christ, the author, the finisher of our faith, our greatest, most perfect example. Think about him. He is the creator of the universe. We're, we're told in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. But we're also told down in verse 14 of John 1 that the, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So He became like us. You know, He could have come to this earth as a mighty warrior, but He chose to come as a babe. He could have come in, in, a, in a golden chariot, but he chose to come in a manger. He could have chosen some princess to, to be his earthly mother, but, but he chose a, a servant girl, pure in heart, seeking the things of God. He could have chosen for her, for her husband to have been a king full of wealth and controlling kingdoms, but, but he chose a carpenter. He could have chosen to live a life of luxury and had the finest things that the planet had available at that time, but he chose to work in, in the carpenter shop and be a carpenter himself. When he began his ministry, he could have chosen to travel in whatever the Prevost motorhome would have been of that day. He could have chosen the nicest way of travel, but he chose to walk. He chose to come into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey. If Jesus chose to work, and Jesus chose to toil, and Jesus chose to come and be a servant, why would we think we shouldn't expect to do the same? If we're supposed to be like Christ. Luke chapter 19 verse 11. As they heard these things. He added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem. And because they thought that, it, that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 19 verse number 12. Told a parable. A certain nobleman went into a far country for to receive himself a kingdom and to return. He called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds. And he said unto them. Occupy till I come. Occupy. Hey, we got our projector back. How about that? Occupy. It's on both sides. Occupy till I come. So, so the. I'm sorry. I just noticed. got hit by lightning it was sent off and we've been without it i just happened to notice it was on both sides god's good the, the word occupy here is a word it, it means to improve it means to increase to take and increase it means to use it to make profit so in the parable here the servants are to take the pound and they're to use it for increase so that when the master comes back there'll be more Jesus commands his children to improve their pounds, to make the most of, of what we've been given. And we are to continue to do so until the Lord Jesus comes. He says, till I come, they're in it. That is the certainty of the coming of Christ, that there be no doubt, occupy till I come. That means I'm absolutely coming, but you just keep on working until then. There's no time to set out a ministry. There's no time to take a year off. There's no time to decide I'm a little tired of doing that. I think I'll set out for a while. There's no time. Jesus may come tomorrow morning. You don't want to be found sitting on the bench. Jesus may come next week. You don't want to be found sitting out in a ministry. He said, occupy till I come. That means keep on working till I get back. Keep on increasing your pounds till I get there. Be not weary in well-doing. In this parable here, this is not the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, there's three people. God gives each one different talents. He gives each one different level, and he tells them that they're supposed to do things until he comes back. But here in the parable of the pound, you have ten people, and they're all given the exact same thing. They're given one pound each. In the parable of the talent, the emphasis is placed on the different abilities that each of us have, the different gifts. But here's what it means. It doesn't matter if you're a person of many talents or a person of one. Use what you have for the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you've been blessed beyond measure and you can do all things in all places at all times and you 
truly are a, a jack of all trades or if you're the one that's master of none. What that parable teaches is that whatever you have, use what God gave you for the glory of God. You don't have to be the most talented, the most gifted. You don't have to have the most. Just use what you got. But here in this one, the pound is placed on the emphasis of the fact that we all have the common responsibility to share the gospel. The pound here in this one represents the gospel. Each man of the ten men, they all receive the exact same amount of the gospel. Pastors do not have a better gospel. Sunday school teachers do not have a better gospel. Singers, evangelists do not have a better gospel. Nobody receives more than another. We all have the same gospel, and we all have the same responsibility to share it, to be not weary in well-doing, but keep on sharing it until Christ returns so that there be a bountiful harvest. The most gifted, most eloquent preacher alive does not have a better gospel than the one you have. The greatest evangelist that is preaching on this planet today does not have a better gospel. We may have different skills. We may have different talents. We may have different levels of talent. We may have different platforms on whereby we put forth the gospel. But we all have the same gospel. And we all have the same responsibility to share the gospel. And we all have the same responsibility to be not weary in well-doing. We looked at Jesus. He is our perfect example. So think about it. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was neglected. Jesus was abused. He was forsaken. Jesus was mocked. But Jesus never quit. Did he grow weary in life? Absolutely. But did he grow weary in the Father's work? Not a chance. Everything that he did, Jesus went about doing good. He never ceased to do good. Paul says here in the text, to let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. What will we reap? Whatever we sow. Band, you guys come on. If you want to, come on, get ready. We, we live in a world. Y'all remember I said it's okay to say amen in the house of God, right? We, we live in a world today. That will beat you down, chew you up, and spit you out, and not lose a minute's sleep over it. We, we live in a world that, that will use you up, and when they're done, they're, that when you're no longer any good to them, they'll just throw you in the trash. They'll abuse you. They'll milk you for everything they can get out of you. They, they, they keep pulling and, and prying, and then they'll go around and tell everybody around you everything but the truth. It's the same world that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel to. It's the same world that we're supposed to be laying awake praying for at night. It's the same world that we're supposed to be getting up in the morning and praying after we do our Bible reading and our devotion, our prayer time, say, God, use me today to reach one of them. Use me today to be a light. Use me today to make a difference. Don't let me grow weary today. Don't let me be tired today. You know... A lot of the fatigue, I, I really hate to say this, but I might as well just go ahead because everybody else is probably already thinking it. A lot of the weariness is caused by people within the church. A lot of the weariness is being beat down by brothers and sisters that backstab, backbite, backchew. It's where a lot of the weariness comes from. It, it, it's the ones who is supposed to be of the household of faith. Can, can I just plug in a little spot, and since none of us fall into it, and we're talking about somebody somewhere else, shouldn't offend anybody, we can't let their ignorance affect our performance. I'm not going to say that again. It's already recorded. Half people just turned me off anyway. Our job is to keep on keeping on. Just remember this, God knows the truth. And God is the one that's going to reward you openly for the things done secretly. No matter how you do them, God says he's the one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, first part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil falsely against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. No one persecuted Jesus more than the religious crowd. Know that Jesus had no greater adversary than the devil, but the Pharisees, the religious group. They're the ones that, that, that tore it down. They're the ones that caused the weariness and the turmoil. There, there's a world out there that, that, that's enough without the church helping them. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus said, The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with the angels. Everybody ready? You may want to put this in your notes. If it ain't online, you may want to put it. It's about you. Matthew 16, 27, The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with the angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Well, we, look, we live in a messed up world. Don't lose faith. Don't, don't quit serving. We're going through times and troubles and trials and on top of cancer and heart and dementia and all the things you already had. You throw COVID into the mix. People are dealing with sickness every day, loss of loved ones every day. The world just, the problems just seem to keep coming. He says, be not weary in well-doing. Well-doing is prayer. Well-doing is telling others about Christ. You know, well-doing doesn't mean you have to give somebody money. If that's what the Lord lays on your heart, that's what you do. Well-doing is just doing good unto others. Unto others as we'd have them do unto ourselves. He says, be not weary in well-doing. Anybody agree that the world can make it difficult? Anybody agree that sometimes it's the people closest to you that can hurt you the most? Be not weary in well-doing. Preach the gospel. We have the same responsibility. I'm going to ask all of you would to stand. The band's going to sing. Those of you that are comfortable with the altar, you're welcome to come. Those that aren't comfortable being, being in a group around the altar, or if you want to put your mask on, however you want to do that. If you want to pray right where you're at. But I want us to pray this morning that God would help us at Faith Baptist Church to always do good, to be good. I, I want us to be a true lighthouse. God didn't put us on a hill by accident. We're on a hill for a reason. I want to be a lighthouse to Troop County. I want to be a lighthouse to our region. I want God to use us to make a difference in this town. I want God to use us to, to reach Troop County, Georgia with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that our town be different, that we make a difference in our region, that we make a difference around the world. If God did it with the first 12, God can do it with us. The 11 replaced by one. How about that? God did it with 12 men walking. He can sure do it with this many people who have access to around the world at the touch of a cell phone. I just want God to use us. And I don't want to grow weary. You know, sometimes... Just, just transparent, just honest. Sometimes the, the things that people say cause a little hardness. Sometimes you're trying to help people and they, and they say things bad and that stuff gets back to you. You know, sometimes you can preach the absolute truth of the gospel and not, not add to or take anything away. You can preach the truth of the absolute gospel. And the only reason you do it is because you love a people enough to tell them the truth. So that God can open the windows of heaven. But you mention the tithe and people don't mind sending negative text out. Sometimes it gets a little wearisome. God says, be not weary in well-doing. You just keep on preaching the truth. I'm the one keeping score up here. I'm the one mounting up rewards. I want this group of people to have rewards mounted in heaven, second to none. And the way we do that is we serve God with everything we got and we be not weary in well-doing. Amen? you guys want to pray, you're welcome to anybody in here, anybody out there. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, well, I sure don't want to close anything until you've had a chance to know how. Jesus does love you so much so that he chose to come down out of glory, walk 33 and a half years in a fleshly body for no reason other than because he loves you just so he could climb up on an old rugged cross of his own free will he chose to lay his life down that he could take it up again that he might be resurrected on the third day so that we might have life that's how much he loved us and God said salvation is yours behold now is the acceptable time today is the day of salvation it's a free gift that God offers through Jesus Christ 
But you have your part. You can't be saved without taking the gift. And offer you a gift all day long. If you don't take the gift, the gift does you no good. If you don't take it and open it and partake of it, it does you no good. The gift's name is Jesus Christ. He is our personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says there must be confession of our sins. Now, you can't be found till you realize you're lost. We're all a sin that comes short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Sinners now. Sinners saved by grace. Sinners still lost. If you're one of those sinners that's still lost, you can change all that by asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to forgive you of your sins, and to save your soul. I tell you all the time, it's not a magic poem. You don't just get to say a little cute prayer it and go away with fireproof insurance. It's surrendering your heart and soul to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that He be Lord of your life. Old things will indeed pass away. Behold, all things will become new because you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's up to you to ask Him. Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart, forgive me my sins, and save my soul in Jesus' name. It's up to you. It's up to you, but He's faithful. He's faithful. And all of God's children said what? Amen. He truly is faithful. He's been good to me. Been good to anybody? Amen. Be not weary in well-doing. Don't let the world beat you down. Well, I know we're fighting some uphill battles today. But it doesn't matter. God's good. And if God is good, oh, I'm going to change it on you. If God is good and God is in us and we're God's children, then we're to be what? Yeah, that's a whole new take on what we're going about to get to say, wasn't it? God is good, so let us be good. God, thank you so much for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for this precious book. Thank you for this word, God. Thank you for the holiness of it, the purity of it the teaching of it, the salvation of it. God, thank you for your, for your message to, to me and to us, your children. God, I pray you'd help each person in this place, every family represented here, every family represented on live stream. I pray for an anointing of the Holy Spirit of God now that as we go out into places, will you help us to not be weary in well-doing? Will you help us, God, to do good always that the world and the people around us might see Christ in us and Christ through us, that they might see what we want and know it's something that they need. God, we have a true joy in us, Father, even in bad times, a joy that never fades. I pray, God, you'd help our light shine in this dark world. We love you, God. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Love on somebody.